Ciao e benvenuti. Welcome to Kimberly's Italy. This podcast is about sharing the love of all things Italian. And I mean absolutely every single little thing that makes Italy and the Italian people so incredibile. I'm your host, Kimberly Holcomb, and I'm here with my co-host, Tommaso. Buongiorno. Ciao. Buongiorno. <laughs> this is episode two, Milano. However, before we start, you might recall that during the introduction, I thought that I might be better at recording if I actually drank some wine. So, here is a Nebbiolo from Valtellina. It's my favorite. And I thought that this might just help the episode of Milano go a little bit better. It'll ease the um, vocal cords, so to speak. <laughs> we decided to start with the episode of Milan because that's where I lived and I have a huge affinity for that big, beautiful, busy, noisy, crazy city. I actually think Milano doesn't get credit it's deserved. It's often overlooked from Venice, Rome, Florence. However, Milano has an abundance of art, music, fashion, and design, not just in clothes, but in furniture and graphics. It's design-centric, it's amazing. And it's also probably the only city that doesn't exist on tourism alone. It's a working city. They're hard workers. They're lovely, generous, fabulous people. And one of my favorite things about the city is its location. I could hop on a train and be in the south of France in three hours. Or I could be in Lake Como in 40 minutes by the fast train or two and a half hours on the bike, which I did a lot. I needed to... I needed the exercise to work <laughs> off the amount of pasta I was eating. Didn't didn't you have a really bad yet funny bike ride up to Lake Como from Milan? <laughs> yes, I did. Um, all right. I'll just quickly tell you that one. Um, Take as much time as you need. <laughs> no. I, I bought a bike, a used bike, and I started... Uh, riding up, riding around the city, outside the city. And then I thought, I'm going to ride to Lake Como, where I had several friends living. So I look on a map, paper map. I think I put it in a backpack. You know, this, there was no mobile phones with Google Maps. So I had my little paper map in a backpack, and I started riding to Lago di Como. And I'm just going along, and like 20 minutes into it, and all of a sudden this big bus a local bus pulls over and the bus driver gets out and starts gesturing with his hands and yelling at me in a nice way, non si può, non si può. So that translated is no, yes, you can. I was completely, <laughs> com completely confused by that. I have never heard those two words, hadn't heard those two words together yet. So I was I just didn't know what to do. And he just kept pointing to this other area. And every single person on the bus was staring out the window like, who's that dumb foreigner? Midwesterner. Doesn't know what she's doing. Non si può. So finally, he takes off. Everyone glares at me thinking she'll never figure this out. But I did. I found a small little road which took a lot longer, but it was great because I went through teeny villages and farms. And Wait a minute. What was yes, no, you can? Oh, it's it's just a combination of words that 
they do use. Were you on the wrong road? Were oh, you- yes. I was on the, a road that was you were not allowed to ride bikes on. Okay. Just, yeah. just to clarify. Sorry. So I carry on on this teeny road, took me through all these little villages, and it was sweet. And then I work my way through the city of Como, which is an amazing place and a, pretty busy. But let me just let you know that every single Italian, male, female, young, old, they drive like they're in Formula Uno. They drive like (laughs) crazy. So it's a little challenging if you're on a bike. So anyway, I get myself through. Challenging or dangerous. Yes, both. I get myself through the city of Como. I'm cruising around up the lake toward the village of Chernobyl which is where a bunch of my friends lived. And right before I got there, I was just sideswiped by a big Mercedes, which they call, pronounced Mercedes. So the Mercedes just hit me, took off. I don't know that he knew he hit me. And absolutely no one stopped, nothing. But I think it's because they were driving so fast, they didn't see it happen. So I was had complete, like, what do you call it, road rash. My bike was banged up so I carried it all the way up this huge steep hill which is hard to walk up just on your own let alone carrying a bike so I finally got to my friend's house he took one look at me and he's like oh I think uh, the only remedy is Prosecco (laughs) (laughs) so we drank Prosecco and that was the end of my bike ride to Como so let me get back to Milano's perfect location for a minute Milan is actually in the region of Lombardia. That's how they pronounce it in Italy. It's beautiful, Lombardia. Americans say Lombardy or Lombardy. Drives me crazy. But Lombardia is absolutely beautiful. It has the Alps up towards Switzerland. And these Alps are actually stunning. They're so jagged and sharp and beautiful. And, they're, and that's because they're significantly younger than all the mountain ranges we're used to in America. And then there's mountains to the west also and toward Torino. And then going south, it gets a little flatter and pastoral. And then east, of course, is Venice. And south of Milano is Parma, the city of Parma. And you know what that means. Cheese. (laughs) Parmigiano. So some uh, friends of mine and I would drive to Parma. It took about an hour and 15 minutes, hour and a half, just to get Parmigiano, drive back home and put it on our pasta. But it's not like you couldn't get good Parmigiano in Milano. You could. They sold amazing Parmesan in the grocery store, like better than anything you'll ever taste. You mean unlike that cheese that's in the craft um, yeah. can? Yeah. Right. Yeah. The Parmesan in Italy is amazing, but when you eat Parmigiano from Parma, it's it's, it's life-changing. It's life-changing. It's <laughs> it's the closest thing to religion you can get. It's beautiful. So that was always fun. That's another benefit of the location of Milano. In an hour, you can be in a totally diverse city and pick up what they're famous for. Quickly, to the west of Milano is Piemonte, also as they pronounce it in Italian. The Americans in English say Piedmont, which is almost bad as Lombardy. But anyway, Piemonte 
is also beautiful. I didn't go there as often as other parts of the country when I lived there, but I have been to Torino several times, which is a beautiful city. And Piemonte is very famous for their truffles, their chocolate, and of course, amazing wine and Fiat. The Agnelli family that started Fiat was in the news weekly. That's that's for sure. And finally, east of Milano, obviously you end up in Venezia. I would always go, but just off season or in really bad weather, because that way you have her all to yourself. But more about Venezia in another episode. But but let me just say about the all to yourself. <clears throat> we have a couple of good stories about Venezia. One or two about just trying to drive a car and park a car and <laughs> hooking, go, up with, don't go there. <laughs> hooking up with the mafia. We'll tell you about that later. Um, and then in the middle of the night, 12 o'clock or so, we're in Piazza San Marco, which as a student of architecture, I've always, you know, this, this was my first trip to Italy with Kimberly. This was my first trip to Venice. And we ended up dancing to a classical septet in Piazza San Marco, literally all by ourselves. We looked around and there was nobody there. So if you go there during high season, yeah, join the crowd. It's like being in Walmart or something and at Christmas time when they're trying to sell PS10, the uh, PlayStation, go to Venice off season and you'll have it to yourself. Anyway, that's... Well, those musicians love to play. They're not tired of it. They may be annoyed by the hordes but there was no one there it was a spectacular evening and they played out of the sheer joy for it i think they also enjoyed us dancing in the middle of it all <laughs> alone right that was a lovely lovely evening okay i want to tell you a few of the things that milan is most famous for risotto milanese mm. <laughs> who mm. doesn't love it, it takes forever to cook And they're pretty picky about it, but Madonna, it's so good. Another thing that Milan sticks out about is La Ultima Cena, the Last Supper painting by Leonardo da Vinci in one of my favorite churches. It's simple, it's calm, and this painting truly does blow you away. La Scala, that is the opera house, probably one of the most well-known in Europe, And I have a a fabulous story about that later. Also, very famous in Milano, Galleria Vittorio Emanuele. It's basically, (laughs) that's a mouthful, right? Those three words. It's basically the world's first shopping mall. And of course, the Duomo. The Duomo of Milano is the third largest cathedral in the world and just incredible. I'll describe that in a bit. And then there's the fashion industry that really fuels the city's livelihood. Fashion houses of Armani, Dolce Gabbana, Gucci, Prada, Zegna, Fendi. People are so well-dressed. Actually, it's a little intimidating how well-dressed they are. (laughs) Tommaso had a gig there in Milano for the fashion industry. Yeah, it was really intimidating. And even (laughs) even more intimidating is trying to go Christmas shopping. (laughs) Which I tried to do, and I did. I accomplished. You did. You did well. I, I I did well. Yes, I did well. But it's it is it is intimidating, but it's just all beautiful. You're just looking at people. You're you know 
we're in America here with hoodies and t-shirts mm-hmm. and men in Milan are walking around with ties and sport coats and just impeccably tailored. Even if they're in casual clothes, mm-hmm. they're impeccably tailored. They own few items, but I got to know this as I got to know people. They don't own a lot of clothes, but they know how to put it together. Anyway, those few things I listed off are what Milan is most well known for. But to me, the most important aspect of all of Milano is the people. The Milanese are used to foreigners because of the fashion industry and the banking industry, which is also very prevalent. But they love it when you try to speak their language and they will befriend you if you just give it your best shot. I literally learned the language or improved upon it from this sweet little lady that sold focaccia on the block of one of my apartments. She corrected all my mistakes every day. And I didn't even really like focaccia, but I (laughs) go in there, buy like the smallest piece I could. And then this other guy, this other man, he was very, very old and he owned the Ferramenta, the hardware store also down the block. Everything's within a block. Everything you need in life in all of Italy is within a block. But anyway, the very old man had a very large mole on his cheek with very, very long hair out of, coming out of it. And it was so off-putting at the beginning, but that's just what he did. And I got used to it. I didn't, you know, back up when I saw it each time. But he, Roberto, I think was his name, taught me how to roll my tongue for all those words that have the risotto sound. (laughs) I thank Roberto every time. Speaking of generous and awesome people, as we mentioned in the introduction, Giancarlo and Rosanna, the bartenders in one of my buildings, they were like family away from home. They'd have me to... Define first what the bartenders in one of your buildings mean. Oh, coffee bar. You didn't live in a bar. Right, right, right. In basically every building, there's a center courtyard. They're always in like a a square shape and there's a center courtyard and there's always commercial um, stores on the ground floor. So you have your fruttivendola, the people that sell fruit and vegetables, the, the focaccia lady, and every building basically, every block has a coffee bar. So Giancarlo was the barista and his wife Rosanna and they treated me like their daughter. They were just fantastic. They'd have me to dinner at their apartment a couple times. They'd get worried if they didn't see me. And they I just loved how kind and generous they were. And I saw them every day. But the irony is, I didn't drink coffee. Yet I'd hang out in there chatting with them and all the locals from the building or, or friends. And everyone else would have their espresso and at least one cigarette. And the time that I bought the equivalent of a $4 can of warm Coke. And I just, that was that. That was life in Giancarlo's bar. Very small can of warm Coke, too. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) They weren't big into ice. (laughs) Anyway. However, speaking of coffee, about four years into my stay, I finally gave in. It was after a photo shoot, and I was with some friends. And two of them were from France, the models. And we went to Camparino. I think Italy's most beautiful coffee bar, and it's in that Galleria I told you about. So I ordered a cappuccino, finally, at the pressure of everybody else and sick of paying $4 for a warm Coke. 
and it was life-changing. I thought, what am I doing? I've just spent four years wasting my time. Did you did you question your sanity at that point? <laughs> no, but my friend, my Italian friend said, he, he said, finalmente, I trovato Dio. You finally found God. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a life-changing day. And then years later, I brought Tommaso to Camparino. And what did you do there? I embarrassed us. Yes. Yes. Because I'm an American and... I sucked one down at about 12 seconds after getting it and asked for a second one. And I got the hairy eyeball yep. in a big way. Totally rude, wrong thing to do. <laughs> First of all, you may not know that you're not really allowed to or you should not order a coffee with milk after noon or maybe 1230. Yeah, you're it's not ordering wrong. a double a double calf, uh, decaf latte, vanilla, extra foam, extra, extra foam at three o'clock <laughs> in the afternoon. Anyway, that cappuccino changed my life, and it was just a remarkable day. But as I mentioned, it's in the Galleria. So I want to tell you about this incredible place that everyone that goes to Milano definitely has to visit. And its long name comes from Vittorio Emanuele, who was actually the first ruler of the kingdom in Italy. It was built in the 1860s, 1870s, and there are tenants. Go ahead. Let me interject about the Kingdom of Italy. I don't think people really understand that Italy actually didn't exist as a cohesive country. Right. Like pretty much prior to World War II, World War I. Right. It was a bunch of little... Kingdoms. Kingdoms. And ruled by a lot of different people, not even Italians per se. Right. Okay. Anyway, Galleria Vittorio Emanuele still to this day has original tenants from the 1860s, like Camparino, Prada, the the fashion store Prada. It's the original store, and it is incredible. They have the same mahogany uh, display shelves and this tile floor. It's, it's the most beautiful interior. So if you're dressed well, you can go in. If you're in a hoodie and shorts, they... they <laughs> Don't go. No, don't no, even try it. But I, I highly recommend going in there. Do a little shopping. But the Galleria itself is so stunning architecturally, and it's four stories high, and it has it's kind of in the shape of a cross with a big dome in the middle. And it has these four vaulted ceilings made of glass and iron. So it lights up naturally, whether it's rainy or sunny, it just lights up the four stories below, which are these beautiful Italian colors that really only work there like sienna and these creams and then below it is the mosaic floor and in the middle of the floor underneath the dome is the coat of arms of torino and there's a bull that represents torino and legend is that if you spin on the pale of the bull pale means testicles if you spin on the pale of the bull three times in a row without falling you will have Good luck for the rest of your life. But people have done this for generations and there's no Pale left. It's it's <laughs> it's down into the you know stone below. But I highly recommend going to this Galleria, especially at night, because it's open-ended. It was built to start at the Duomo and goes to La Scala. That was like the corridor to get here and there. And go at night, walk through there. It's just incredible and it's 
empty and it's quiet and it's totally safe. Milano, I feel, is a very safe city. But there's something very magical about walking through that place at night. It's it's unlike any other mall you'll ever go to. Yeah, it's not it's not like the mall of America. <laughs> right. So that was a tangent from my life-changing cappuccino day, but let me get back to the generosity of the Milanese for a second, because this really makes the city. At one of my apartment buildings, it was actually the last apartment I had before I had to move back to the States. It's just like a five-story walk up, and there's just two apartments on each floor. So I took one, uh, leased it from a somewhat sketchy background uh, person. But anyway, <laughs> the neighbor across the street, I'm uh, sorry, across the hall, her name was Signora Bergamaschi. And she was teeny and old, but just sweet as can be. And she was convinced that I did not have a boyfriend because I didn't know how to cook. Truth. That was very true. <laughs> Truth. But she had a hard time understanding why an American female would, first of all, be in Italy. And this is back in 1989, 1990. So why was an American foreigner living alone in an apartment next to her? She had met foreigners, of course, but she never had one living next to her. So once she told me that I didn't have a boyfriend because I didn't know how to cook, she offered to teach me on Tuesday nights. I thought, this is great because I really did need to learn. Living in this country with all these amazing, you know, products available and cheeses and homemade pastas, like, okay. So, Signora Bergamaschi, here was the catch. She drank wine out of a, like a carton, like a small kind of orange juice carton. And I, um, I just drew the line at drinking wine out of a box because you could buy incredibly good wine in the grocery store again, right next to the amazing Parmigiano. You could buy really good wine for the equivalent back then of like eight, nine dollars. So I made the mistake of bringing her a bottle of wine the second Tuesday night. <laughs> and that was it. But it, it did seal your, 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 your classes for the future. Oh, yeah. Well, she wanted to add the uh, you know Monday and Wednesday <laughs> ahead and behind it, but I just stuck to the Tuesday and I did it every Tuesday night that I wasn't busy until I moved. And I make Signora Bergamasti's pasta sauces to this day. And Tom knows them well now too. And they're delicioso. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So funny enough, that same apartment, another little tidbit about their generosity, the same apartment across from Signor, Signora Bergamasti, um, was unfurnished and I had lived in furnished apartments prior to that. So I needed to find some furniture. And one day I was walking back from a job and the church down the street. Uh, well, that's actually a funny thing to say. There's churches on every street, there's right. churches <laughs> on every corner, but the one down the street on the corner had this back outbuilding and the doors were open and I saw all this furniture like stacked on top of each other. So I went in, I found the priest, he was very nice, he chatted for a bit, wanted to know the same thing. He had met models per se, but not a female fashion photographer, so I wanted to know all about that. Finally, I told him my situation and asked if I could purchase some furniture. I needed a kitchen table, chairs, etc. And he said, I'm not going to sell it to you, you can have it for free. 
I was like, oh, you're so kind, so nice. And he said, but I just have one question. And he looked at me and goes, Se Catolica, are you Catholic? And I thought, whoa, I am not going to lie to a priest. But And they do give to the poor and all that, so I needed I needed the furniture. So I said, no, non sono Catolica. And he goes, okay, va bene. Vai via pronto perché ho fame. He goes, okay, that's fine. Hurry up. Get someone to help you carry it back because I'm hungry. <laughs> that was that. That's how I got my furniture. If you were Catholic, he would have helped you. I don't know. He just wanted to know. Okay. okay. He just was totally curious. I, I'd like to step back about Senior Bergama, see uh, Signora Bergamaschi's and her her training of you in Italian cuisine. We met. And we had a couple of dates beforehand. And I remember, we met in America. We met in America. In Boston. And I remember on a Saturday or on a Thursday night, she said, you would like to have lunch on Saturday. And I thought, sure, that'd be great. We'll have lunch on Saturday. I didn't think she was going to make lunch, but she showed up at my apartment with two pasta sauces for lunch, two pans, completely made pasta sauces. And I was like, oh, um, interesting. <laughs> this is a cheap date. <laughs> And here we are, all those years later. One was Signora Bergamaschi's sauce, and one was from Susanna. I remember well. Uh, Okay. Another neighbor. Another neighbor. Okay, so let me go back to a few of the things I mentioned earlier that make Milano so uh, well-known, even though it's under the radar a bit. Teatro alla Scala, the opera house, which is just called La Scala, it truly is one of the most incredible buildings I have ever, ever been in. And anyone can go. They have a museum. It's open all the time. And now the prices are totally reasonable to see an opera is maybe the equivalent of like $80 a person. I find that amazing compared to a Broadway show in Manhattan. Yeah, considering it's been a grand to see you two in the front. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Anyway, I went there a lot i met a guy that was a timpanist and i just i loved everything about it and and actually quick story my parents were coming to visit and while they were there la traviata was playing so i thought oh i have to get them tickets because they would go to the opera the metropolitan in new york all the time so in those days most of the seats were season ticket holders but they did always sell like two or three hundred seats to the public but there was no online way to buy them. You had to go wait in line, and the ticket window opened at 9 a.m. So the timpanist told me to go stand in line starting about 3 a.m. So I did. <laughs> <laughs> I walked there because there's no trams or taxis in Milano in those days at, in the middle of the night. So I walked, beautiful walk past the Duomo, through the Galleria to La Scala. I turned the corner of the Galleria. And there's about a hundred people in line. And they're chatting and they're smoking. They're just being Italian. I was like, okay. So the people I met were uh, working for uh, like the secretaries or the house cleaners to the people that wanted the tickets. So I said, well, I'm buying them for my parents and myself. But no one told me that when you finally get to the ticket window, you could only buy two tickets two seats per person. So my parents got to see La uh, La Traviata and loved it. I never, ever saw an opera there because I wasn't going to wait in line again. (laughs) I'll go now. 
<laughs> Actually, I was going to go this coming spring, but we're not there because of COVID. Okay, so let's call it. Incredible. You must, must see it. And if you love opera, buy a ticket. Um, the cuisine, the risotto milanese and the cuisine in general is very different from the rest of Italy. It's delicious. It's just different. And funny enough, they eat less pasta than they do rice and polenta. Tom hates polenta. I love polenta because the Milanese put all this kind of cheesy goodness into it. It's delicious. Mm -hmm. And the other funny thing or surprising is that the Milanese cook with butter more than they do with olive oil. So everything tastes a bit different. But the pizzerias, they're delicious all over Italy, except in some bad tourist spots like in Venice, remember? Oh, that was awful. We had a pizza with like ketchup on it. Oh, it was terrible. That was one bad one. It was, but, it was on the bridge overlooking... Uh, uh, the Rialto. Uh, no, Quideca. We were looking oh, right. back, we're sitting there on the bridge going, this is a beautiful view. Was it Worst pizza ever. Worst pizza ever. <laughs> you could have gotten a better pizza in Gary, Indiana. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, so the pizzerias in Milano are delicious. And that was like my go-to staple on weeknights because I had never had a pizza prior to moving to Milano in Italy. I had been in Italy before, you know, hitchhiking through this country, but for some reason I didn't have pizza. So the Milano Milanese pizza was the first I ever had and it was amazing, but... Later, I'll do an episode on Napoli, and that is the birthplace of pizza, and that is, that's unlike anything else. So the cuisine, different but delicious, and the wine, uh, every single region, every single city, and every single region sells, offers wine from all over the country, but each city likes to show off their region's specialty. And Lombardia's Specialty is Nebbiolo, which I'm drinking now. Which we have been sipping on gracious, uh, <laughs> generously. No, no, no. Uh, Nebbiolo comes from Valtellina, and there's a this bottle here is from my last trip from a vineyard called La Triaca, Lagata. They have three vineyards, and Lagata is where this bottle's from. This lovely lady Ivana gives little tours of the vineyard and the winery, which is housed in an ancient old monastery. Visiting vineyards, not just to go and taste them, but visiting them and going through their wineries, their buildings is stunning because none of them are new. They're old. They have history. I highly recommend whatever region you're in in Italy, do yourself a favor and go see where the wine is made. Il Duomo. Duomo means cathedral, of course, you probably all know that. And as I mentioned earlier, it's the third largest cathedral in the world. And I was obsessed with the Duomo from day one. And I am not exaggerating when I say that I was in that Duomo probably four or five times a week for the entire six years I lived there. There was a tram stop close by that went to all the neighborhoods I basically lived in. So I literally was in and out of that church every other day. I loved it. And its history is incredible. It was started in the late 1300s, and it literally took six centuries to finish. And funny enough, funny tidbit, Napoleon Bonaparte ordered the finish of it because it was taking so long. And I can get into that later, but Napoleone Bonaparte was Italian. Hmm. Some of you don't know that. 
I'll tell you more, because he had a lot to do with Milan, made things happen. But this church, super ornate from the outside, the nickname sometimes a wedding cake church, but there are 3,400 sculptures, freestanding, life-size sculptures, 3,400 of them. And inside is totally different from the ornate exterior. It's this simple, beautiful mosaic floor. It's huge. It's cool, which was always important in the heat of mm-hmm. Milan summers. Anyway, I'm, I just love this place. And I was fortunate enough, if you walk in there enough, you can see and participate in anything. I'm not Catholica, as I mentioned earlier, but I sat through several weddings because they don't close it off for private events. And the best thing I saw and experienced in the Duomo was the funeral of one of the marble cleaners. So because of those 3,400 sculptures, it would take seven years for a rotation to clean those sculptures on the exterior. And they had a funeral of a man who was probably in his late 70s who did seven rotations, 49 years. He cleaned every single sculpture. He was one of many. Right, but right. He, he was the uh, had the job the longest. So they gave him a funeral, a send-off like I have never seen, and it was just incredible. And also funerals and weddings are a, a very good way to improve upon your Italian. <laughs> <laughs> so go through, go to the Duomo day, night, inside, outside, all around it. Also now, though, you have to buy tickets online because it's, well, this was pre-COVID, it's quite popular, and they're trying to control the, the crowd. So I feel fortunate, I lived there when I did, that I was able to see it every day. Allora, that kind of means, okay, well then. <laughs> allora, I think I'll stop here for today. There is so much more to talk about Milan. I mean, I haven't even told you about the hysterical hardships of living there, moving there as a foreigner and trying to get an apartment. I haven't mentioned the fact I befriended a mafia dude unwillingly, went all the way to Sicily with him. But anyway, there's just more to talk about and that will be our next episode. So, grazie mille. Ci sentiamo. Ciao, ciao.